Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. All right, he's back. He's back. He's been rolling down the Urban View River. I've heard him on the Clay Kane Show. He's been out in them streets. And he's now back on the Karen Hunter Show, joining me with Tanya Pinkins, Dr. Uh, Carl Hart. Drug Use for Grownups is the book. Welcome back, sir. Hey, it's great to see you, Karen. You're my favorite radio host, favorite no, no, no. personality, no, 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 everything. Don't, Okay, I appreciate that, but we don't need to qualify. I could be one of, because, you know, people don't, I don't want nobody feelings to be hurt by me being your favorite, but uh, thank you. All right, so we were talking about Naomi Osaka and a host of other things in the first hour, um, and I was just curious because I was sharing an experience of, of self-awareness, of understanding that perhaps one of the reasons why I was hired was because my employers didn't really see me they saw a uh, trope or they saw, you know, a, a stereotype that they were comfortable with. And I'm in academia as well as you are. And I know that there's a certain way that you should move to get tenure, to get high, you know, like there's a certain black comfort zone for white folk because it's a heavily white space, academia, heavily white. And you're at an Ivy League school, right? Yes, yes. Do you, and, and I'm asking a delicate question. Do you believe the way that you show up in the world made it easier for them to put you in the position that you're in? Uh, no, actually, it kind of made it more difficult uh, at some level because, you know, uh, I've been doing what I'm doing. Well, I've been at Columbia for about 23 years now, but I've been in academia since uh, oh, 1989, 1990 in these spaces. And over the course of that time in 95 or so, I decided to grow dreadlocks and I always had gold teeth. Uh, it's a Miami thing, it's a hood thing. And I just didn't want people to like get it twisted and not remember where I was from, you know? So uh, that made it difficult for some people. And, and also- Wait, wait, uh, pause. Had, Did you have tenure at the time that you grew, grew your locks and had gold teeth? No, 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 no. I had I didn't have tenure. I was just I was a graduate student, postdoc, and young faculty person, and, and it was along the path. But the thing about it was, I wanted to make sure that I did not forget who I am and the struggle that the people engaged in, so I could be where I am. And so I began to learn how to think when I discovered the sort of philosophy of Rastafarianism. And so, I mean, you know, I'm raised in the black church with Christians and so forth, but it was always a conflict when I saw the white Jesus and that sort of thing, but I just didn't have the language to articulate it. And then the brothers in Jamaica were talking about uh, uh, Haile Selassie and, and um, him being the second coming and those sorts of things. And it, it fit with the whole, Christian narrative. So it was easy for me to hold on to. Uh, but I have to be clear that, you know, I, I no longer subscribe to any sort of religious sort of uh, doctrine at this moment. But it taught me how to question, and Rastafarianism that is, taught me how to question uh, and how to think. And so my dreadlocks are an expression of, uh, of, of that time. And so I don't forget uh, my children have dreadlocks. Um, they, they've never had haircuts. So those kind of things just remind me of the world that we continue to have to negotiate. Uh, and that's no disrespect to anybody else in the world. It's just a reminder for me. Um, and so when I see people who are catching hell who look like me, I have to remember um, I have an obligation to them and we as a society have an obligation to them. And that, that's what this is about. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Tanya, go ahead, Tanya. Tanya, I know you, you were, she came. Well, right I don't, what I don't know about you, Karen, I heard you saying you are just no drugs, no drugs. Does that mean you've never done any entheogens or you don't have never. a plant medicine practice? No, never. I mean, of course I've, uh, I, I've had a colonoscopy and that propofol is amazing. <laughs> so let me just say that out loud. Uh, and I actually scheduled two within a year. I was like, I see how you get caught up. That was absolutely the best sleep I've ever had. And I understand it is an artificial good sleep, but it is a good sleep. But um, I, I have Karen, an Karen, can I interrupt one second? So sure. in my book, I describe having a colonoscopy and I, and I, and I talk about a profanol in, in, in the book. So um, you, should, you should check out that section because okay. I, I think you'll be feeling it. All right. I, I appreciate you d directing me in my reading habits because I do need direction. I appreciate that, Dr. Hart. That, that said, you know, um, I know that I'm, I'm a type, you know, not just type A, but I have a, a, a very addictive, not addictive personality, like, but I know that potentially if I'm in, I'm all in. So like if I use drugs, I'm going to use all of the drugs. And I'm going to use them all the time. Like when you described eating a whole bag of cashews, that's me. So, so I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to eat all, all of it. So it's, it's, so I, I have to constantly, you know, measure myself against what I know my proclivities are and, and deny myself things so that I don't fall off, you know, into the abyss. So. I'm with you. When I was in elementary school, I recognized that I had an addictive personality. And so I did not smoke. I did not drink. I did not do drugs. I just was like, you don't do anything easy. So as I'm addicted to sugar and I overeat it to a fault. But in 2018, someone I respected greatly wanted me to do some work for them. And they had created this work on a, on a plant medicine called Kana. And it is a testament to my respect for this person because my fear was I would either die if I did this medicine or I would lose my mind and I wouldn't even know that I lost it. But I was willing to risk that to, uh, because I respected this person so much. And so I've always had a connection with trees. I have tree families all over the world. So we went to their estate and we made a ritual. We, um, you know, we set intentions, we fasted before. And I took this medicine called Kana. And the clarity was so profound that I was like, of course, plants are teachers. How have I lived this long and denied myself this? I had never been on their property before. I went walking through their 35 acres and found my tree family. I'm sitting there with the trees. I feel some stuff coming up. There's a dog there that I'd never met that had been abused. This dog starts humping me for four hours. It I felt some demons coming. The dog started barking at something that it was feeling. The medicine told me that the two people I was with were not at my level, could not handle me. I began telling them things about their selves that they are now living out in the world. And I, me and that person, we stopped even, it ended for us because of what I saw in them. But it sent me on my journey to find many more plant medicines and I've taken my children with me to journey because that's what, you know, people in the movement journeying. So one day I hope you'll come with me and journey. No, 
<laughs> I absolutely will not go with you to journey with the trees and the plants. I'm not doing it. All right, but, but Dr. Carl, Carl Hart is here. Uh, is this a familiar experience? What is Kana? What is the, the, first? What is Kana? What is Kana? I Tanya, I never, I never heard of that. It's a plant, and it's not even a Schedule One. It's not illegal. How, how uh, did you? How did you ingest it? Was it smoking? It was eating? in a little. It was like some crystals in a little uh, capsule. I've never been able to find them since then. But since then, I went to Combo next, which is the Brazilian green tree frog, which they have to burn into your skin. And then after that, I went to Aya, Sassafras. And my medicine is, is, is psilocybin. Um, what and is, my, what my, is it? My, my psilocybin shrooms. And I, for me to even get anywhere, it's about nine grams. And I, I still haven't gotten to my access dose. So, so says Kalindi E. <laughs> hey, Dr. Carl, I, Carl, I yes. see you and I raise you. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm reinforcements today. You weren't, you weren't ready for this. And to be honest, neither was I. All right. 866-801-8255. Anybody else have a tree family? First, I'm hearing of it. I'm here for it. I'm open. Not going with Tanya anywhere to sample any trees in the on the planet but i respect all that she's saying dr carl hart what 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 do you know of this well uh, what tanya is saying is that all of our medicines all of the medicines that we take in society are based on plants and we have in many cases just extracted the uh, most active ingredient and just synthesized it in the lab. But all of this is based on animals. We, we have evolved, the, these plants have evolved these different types of chemicals in part to increase their longevity. So like when some animal may come along and eat a plant and then that animal may get sick or altered to the point where they don't like it that decreases the likelihood that they will eat that plant. Or some plants evolve uh, chemistry such that the animal likes to eat it, and then that in increases the likelihood that the animal will eat the, the, the fruits of that, that plant or tree and then pass it on, and that increases the, the development uh, or spread of, of, of those chemicals. So this is a natural sort of uh, evolutionary sort of thing. And Dr. E said that, you know, mycelium, which is with mushrooms, he believed, um, he, he, he passed on last March, um, and he believed that it was actually an alien technology because it precedes all of the plants, the insects on the planet, and it forms a network across the entire planet. Um, the, the, I mean, I wrote a novel one night on shrooms. It just was coming. I couldn't even take it yeah. fast enough. It was just coming. You, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be extraterrestrial in order to uh, be all throughout the planet because plants are. Uh, and that's just that's also just part of the natural sort of evolutionary course of our planet. That's um, that's that's a fact. But they did just find them on Mars. They found mushrooms on Mars, they think. I, I'm sorry, I, I haven't heard that. So this, that's new knowledge. Oh, I'm gonna put that in. I'm gonna now, find please, that in yeah, drop the link because I need to now. I, <laughs> so you ever you run into something and you're like, I didn't expect this, but I'm here for it. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Doctor Carl Hart is here at Dr. Carl Hart H A R T. Um, Tanya, the mushrooms in what form are you taking this? And how 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 do you what you know how do you know how to dose? I mean, we were talking with Doctor Carl Hart last time he was here about dosing. And like, how do you know that you need this much? And then 
Well, first of all, you want to get them. I've never done it as a social thing. I always do it as a spiritual thing. Uh, the first time I did it, I people told me that they do like three people split an eighth. So um, the first time me and two people, we did an eighth each. Nothing happened. Some giggles. Uh, thereafter, I did it alone. Um, I found someone who does it in a very sacred medicine and she brought, gave me a bag and she said, just eat them. So I ate like nine grams. You get the chills, you get nauseous. Um, you meet your shadow. For me, I met my shadow. Um, I, it's like, to me, it's like instant psychotherapy work that you do with people in the world. You get to do it right there. If you just say, I'm going in, we're going to look at my self-loathing tonight. We're going to look at my evil. I'm going in. I'm all of that. We're going to die. I'm going in. And then on the other side is just, it's not really describable for me. Um, the last time I really did anything was I went into the jungle and did Aya for, you know, 10 days in the jungle. And I made a pact with a plant called Noyarao, which is like my master teacher. And to, to, to be in communion with Noyarao, I gave up pork. I gave up ever doing marijuana or I'll never get to do bufo because of the pact I made with Noyarao. What's bufo? Bufo? Bufatinin. What is it, Carl? Bufatinin. Bufatinin, the, the, the substance that's contained in the frog. Okay. All right. I'm writing this stuff down. But she also pointed out Aya, which is ayahuasca. The main component of that is DMT. Um, all of the things that Karen is, is saying um, is kind of highlighting this sort of renaissance uh, among, I'm sorry, Tanya, I'm so sorry. It's okay. all, all the things that we, Tanya said. We are saying, one. We are all. <laughs> right on, all right on. By the way, that's the name of my uh, psychedelic chapter, We Are One. Um, so right on, Karen. Thank you for plugging the book. Um, it's all the things that Tanya is saying is part of this sort of psychedelic renaissance in terms of use. And people are discovering that these plants, these chemicals can alter your psychological um, being, feelings, uh, makeup, such that you are more generous, more magnanimous, more open, more forgiving, uh, able to look at yourself, able to check out your sort of footprint in the world to make sure that it is not negatively impacting other people and you reevaluate. But all of this sort of stuff is not new, but we're acting as if it's new in large part because middle class or middle to upper class white folks have discovered this and they are writing about this in they are our journalists. Um, they are really the folks who are the opinion makers in our society. They've discovered this now. But when people are doing heroin, when people are doing cocaine, when people are doing MDMA, a number of these drugs, they are seeking exactly the same thing, but the language changes. And we don't call them as Tanya was saying, her medicine, uh, the spiritual versus social, this sort of thing. We don't, we don't do that. We just call those like drugs, our bad drugs. But trust me, that's this is what my book was all about. Um, when you do heroin, people do heroin, they can achieve the same things. But the, 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 the difference is that when you don't have the sort of uh, self-awareness, the education and the ability to introspect, and you take any of these drugs, 
you're not reaching those higher planes. But if you do have the education, the ability to introspect, to really interrogate yourself, you can achieve all of this with heroin, with cocaine. Um, that's what the point of the book is. So it's not so much in the chemical, although some chemicals produce their unique effects. Now that's not, that's not, uh, that's true. But the point is, is that we can achieve all of these and our language changes depending upon who is using the substance. And that's the concern that I have, having studied drugs for 30 years. And, that, and that's the only place where I can get in alignment with you because I feel like all of the introspection that you're talking about, people can achieve without use of drugs or outside Absolutely. substances. And I believe, you know, if our ancestors are, you know, I'm sure, yes, they use plants and medicine and teas and, you know, that is part of our culture. Uh, but I think we, we, many of us, I'm not talking about present company, but many of us use it to escape the self, to escape the things that we need to work on, not lean into the things we need to fix uh, in ourselves. So, you know, that to me is, is problematic. Let me, let me speak to some of that because, you know, when I was thinking about doing it, I kept looking for books by us and I couldn't find them. And then I, I happened to, you know, meet Baba Kalindi E. And so the tradition of, of, of mushrooms, particularly on the African continent, is ancient. And we don't talk about it and we don't write about it because it's that sacred. That plant in uh, that purple plant in um, uh, the Wakanda world, that's a real plant that is only given to an elder because sometimes when they take it, they don't come back, but they can come back. And so all of the martial arts have an entheogen associated with it. The whole thing of the martial arts was that you take this medicine so you can go to another realm and practice your skills. Nobody was trying to kill anybody. You and Dr. Carr talked about that. So there, were, there are substances that martial arts adepts take so that they can go into another realm and practice their skills before they come back here. So there's a tradition in our culture, but we don't write or talk about it because it is that sacred. Yeah, but please understand too, Tanya, and the current day Africa, uh, they are either as prohibitive or restrictive with drugs and plants as we are in this country. We have exported our awful drug policy to the continent and um, they, have, they have these increasing numbers of their people in jail. I was, just, I was in Ghana not long ago. I mean, the folks are in those jails. It, it looks like the slave ship. I mean, that's how awful it is because of drugs. In large part, they're arresting folks because of drugs and that's been exported by us. Uh, and, and so uh, it's in Africa, they, they need a lot of re-education about these yeah. things as well. I mean, they're also wearing Catholic school uniforms and they have a white Santa Claus and Jesus on, on, on the billboard. So, you know, a lot of the indoctrination and I'm not, you know, again, yeah, I'm not demonizing uh, anyone because, you know, the, the colonization was powerful and it still is. And I, and I think about, you know, the awesome amount of work we have to do, which is why I want to start from a baseline, you know, of like where we can all kind of, you know, commune around this notion of who we are, you know, and what we all can do for ourselves to be healthy, as healthy as possible. And I, I don't know, you know, Dr. Carl, taking drugs, is that healthy to you? Or is it, you know, is it medicine for you? 
and and have you because last time you were here you were saying during COVID you were having a hard time finding the natural form of heroin that you would take because you don't just take heroin he's not just out there on the street looking for that smack I think that's what they call it you know but you 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 and you don't sniff it you're, you're like very particular about how you use it have you been able to use it during this uh period no, no, you know, because we have this pandemic, but you know, heroin isn't the only substance I use. You know, if I had to have say like a favorite substance, it would be something like MDMA. Now MDMA is methylene dioxymethamphetamine. The kids call it Molly. Uh, back in the day, we used to call it ecstasy. Uh, but it's when we think about, is it medicine? Is it not? Is it recreational? Um, the thing that we have to understand is that alcohol was medicine for a very long time. And so the distinction between medicine and just uh, drugs, um, that's an arbitrary dis distinction. Please understand that. Uh, unless somebody is like, you have cancer and you're taking this substance to get rid of the cancer. But oftentimes when we're taking something for pain, for example, uh, the, an opioid for pain, uh, that just basically alters your aware awareness of pain. It's not treating the problem that's related to the pain. So that's like, is that medicine or is that just making you feel good? I, I don't really care. When I'm at a dentist, I, I just wanna have an opioid or something on board that I'm not going to feel the pain. Uh, and, and, and so this sort of medicine or not is a very uh, Western uh, puritanical sort of thing. Uh, and when we think about MDMA today, uh, Molly or ecstasy, um, there was a study about two weeks ago that just came out that showed that MDMA is effective uh, at treating soldiers who have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, as a result of being in war, uh, which is a horrible thing. Uh, what this thing that we're doing we're having this ongoing war and then we're having people come back in our society and they're expected to act as if they didn't see all of this trauma uh, mdma has been shown uh, in multiple studies to treat that kind of trauma trauma so we can think about the trauma that we experience in our communities when you see a, a loved one uh, killed by the police and you can't do anything. I mean, a couple, a few weeks ago, uh, we heard that uh, the attorney general uh, in uh, uh, North Carolina where uh, Andrew Brown was killed is not going to prosecute those, those, those officers that assassinated that brother. I mean, the people in that community, imagine the trauma that you have when you can't do anything, when you see your loved ones, your sons, your, your daughters being murdered by the police, trauma. Uh, MDMA certainly can help as these studies show. Is that for pleasure or is that medicine? I don't really care. I care about dealing with those people's trauma, however we can do it. Mm. Is sarsaparilla MDMA? I'm sorry? Is sarsaparilla MDMA? Is that, no. is that an MDMA sus substance in that? No, I'm not. I'm not aware okay. of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> as I said, I was very uh, anti this. And then, you know, I felt so profoundly altered by it that I took my children to, they had sarsaparilla and they have done social drugs. And they told me that sarsaparilla was like MDMA. And, um, you know, it's supposed to make you feel good, but two of my children just purged all night and the curanderas, they said, this is not even a purgative, but clearly your children have some releasing they need to do. And with one of my children, I saw a, 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 just a crack in this 
calcification around his heart. I saw a crack in the spirit of that. And um, it's just been profound. One of the things that one of the things I just like to say and be clear with the audience, um, we want to make sure people understand precisely what they're taking and the doses that they're taking. It's it's really important. Uh, the fact that we as a country have prohibited these substances so long, what in effect what that has done in effect is that it's pushed it underground. And when things are underground, sometimes you have some less than scrupulous players who are operating underground. And so I want to make sure that people understand it's really important to know what's in your substance, to know the dose, and also to be in the most comfortable setting because the environment and the setting could actually uh, play a huge role in provoking uh, extreme anxiety and paranoia, all of these things. And so I don't want anybody to kind of take these things lightly. Uh, they, I, I, of course, I believe that substances certainly can be helpful for people, but um, it's uh, really, uh, uh, it requires work, just like anything that's worth having. It requires some work to know something about these substances. And so you Tanya, Tanya hold on. So, so Tanya doing it as a spiritual uh, exercise is, is favorable to someone just doing it in, at a club. Well, Tanya is, is a grown woman. She's responsible. She knows that she's responsible for her children and she's going to protect her children at all costs, those kind of things. So I, I have confidence in, in her uh, and I'm just reiterating the fact that we want to make sure that people uh, know exactly what's in their substance and the dose. Uh, but I, she is a responsible person and I am all about allowing responsible adults be responsible adults because then we all are better when they have the freedom to do that sort of thing. And you talked about Portugal having, you know, no illegal drugs so that there's a festival or something where they have testing, where people can come in and bring their drugs and test them and test the purity so that everyone's there knows exactly what they're getting. Here, you don't even know that it's the drug that killed you. You, you don't know what they cut it with. You know, you're, you're, you're in danger from just buying things on a black market. Yeah, so in Portugal, they de decriminalize drugs. That, it, that means that they're not gonna be arresting anybody for using drugs or possessing drugs. Uh, and, and they have the drug checking, the dr drug purity checking, as you uh, alluded to. Um, we, have, we have the resources and we have the technology in this country to do this, but we've chosen, we've chosen not to do it. Uh, and yet we also like to talk about how many people are dying from the opioid crises, uh, when in fact a large proportion of those people are dying because they get tainted drugs or drugs that are adulterated with some uh, toxin that, 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 that uh, causes people to overdose. Uh, and we could easily solve that problem. But the point, the, the point is, is that um, the American public hasn't demanded it and the politicians have not uh, advocated for this sort of thing. Yeah, they are fully aware of this. Yeah, but and I, I want to say, go ahead, let me just say this, Irving Dardick, because he, there's a book called Making the Waves. I don't think Irving Dardick is alive anymore, but Irving Dardick um, it was a medical doctor. They took away his license. There's a book about him called Making the Waves in Italy, they teach. And he said that when you see people taking drugs, it's because they're trying to recreate 
chemicals that their bodies would normally make. They're trying to recreate these waves. That's what he called it. And he developed an entire exercise protocol based on your biorhythms, your, the time of the day, the time of the year, where you do these sort of extreme forms of exercise to get your body to create the same ways that people who get addicted to drugs seem to be seeking. Yes, there are ways to do this without a, a substance. Yeah, but be careful. When people start telling you that somebody is using a drug for some reason and it applies to everybody, you should have some red flags going up. That's not how it works. People use, why do you have sex? People engage in sex for a variety of reasons. And there is no one shoe that fits all. The same is true with drug use. So when those people start doing that kind of thing, putting everything in one basket, red flag, red flag, it doesn't work that way. And when they start talking about uh, this sort of nebulous biological language, red flag, red flag, it doesn't work that way. We know some things about the brain, about biochemistry, but we still have a lot to learn. If we want to talk about that sort of thing, that this is what I've done for like 30 years. Talk, that my studies have been the biochemistry, uh, neuropsychopharmacology, that's, that's my expertise. And I am not comfortable in public telling people about which neurochemicals they should manipulate for this effect because I will be telling them some BS and I don't wanna do that. And this is somebody who's published a hundred papers in the scientific literature. This is Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, the book is called Drug Use for Grownups. He's a professor at Columbia University. He's a psychologist. He teaches in psychiatry. Uh, 866-801-8255. Do your children, do you condone your children using the drugs that you use, Dr. Hart? Well, you know, so I'm not a snitch, so I can't put my children on blast on national uh, radio. But the point is, my children know a lot about drug use. Uh, they have been coming with me into the lab since they were able to walk, watching me do my work. And part of my work is giving people drugs as part of my studies. And so they know a lot about drugs. Uh, the thing that I emphasize with my children is that they, they, they must be responsible people in this world. And part of their responsibility is giving back to society, contributing to the society that has given so much to us, contributing to the people who have given so much to us. And so that's the main thing that I emphasize. Now, I don't really care what they do, as long as they uh, achieve those goals and as long as they are handling their responsibility, they have no problems from their father, they have whatever they father, their father has is theirs as long as they achieve those goals. And they have been able to, they are college educated, they are doing well, they are lovely humans. Uh, uh, Daryl in California, you're on 866-801-8255 is the number. You have a question for Dr. Hart. Welcome to the Karen. Yes, I had a question. Um, my my uh, friend, a friend of mine, she's actually like a sister of mine, but her grandson is 15, and his probation officer told him that part of his probation that he can't smoke weed. And I think that that's not a that's not you know it's a legal substance, so I think that's a problem. Well, let's think about this. Uh, you have to be 21 in order to drink alcohol. So it's actually illegal for anybody who is under 21 in this society. And, and you know, I have a problem with that. I think it should be 18, of course, but, uh, but the law is the law at the moment. And so the 15 year old is, if he's smoking weed, even in a, in a state that is legal, uh, the legal age is 21, just like with alcohol. And so technically the kid is breaking the law. 
now the question becomes, what type of punishment is this person being subjected to for breaking that law? That's where the sort of issue was at, but it seems to be clear that uh, the kid is uh, underage and society has agreed that there is an age limit before you can have access to these, these substances. Um, and that's an issue that we have to take up with society, but at the moment, that's the law. And I would say that, you know, in terms of responsibility, if the conditions of your probation, which is allowing you to be on the street, says this is what you have to do, you've already violated some societal rules. So now in order to get back in good, this is what you got to do. This is the consequence. Mm. Yeah, but we have to be careful there too now because we know that some of these societal rules are uh, not necessarily applied across the board Agreed. fairly. Agree. Uh, I mean, in uh, Philadelphia, I think like 90% of Philadelphia before Larry Krasner was on under supervision. And if you ever did marijuana under supervision, you go back to square one. So yes, they use these rules to, to keep us imprisoned. Black men, black men in particular uh, in Philly. Heidi, Heidi in, in Queens, New York, you're on. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hi. Okay, I know you all are all amazing and you're highly educated, but you know, that whole conversation, that condoning, even though you're talking about, oh, you need to be responsible, but this is too much condoning. I have children that I'm raising that came from parents who were drug addicted. So 10 months in the womb, and now I'm dealing with them with this marijuana nonsense. And what you guys are saying, is absurd. That's can you too say much, you know, it's okay to do. I mean, it's just not right. These kids are messed up as it is. Can, can you please say what part is you find the most absurd so we can address it and have a conversation about it? Um, yeah, it, I mean, to me, it just sounds like you feel like using drugs is okay. And it's not okay, you know, um, okay, okay, I, I, I understand. Let me answer and then we can have a conversation. So, number one, one of the things that we were saying is that our society has a legal limits. So kids are, uh, can't use drugs legally. And so we are not certainly advocating for kids to use drugs. Just like when we think about driving an automobile, you have to be a certain age because automobiles, we lose 40,000 Americans every year in car related deaths. Uh, just like uh, sexual intercourse, we have legal age limits because kids yeah. are not emotionally ready. Uh, the same is true here for drugs. Yeah, so but, but Dr. Dr. Hart, kids don't follow these rules. They drive when they don't have a license. They are definitely Absolutely. having sex uh, and getting pregnant and doing those things. So I think Heidi's concern is somebody listening with kids in the car would say, well, Dr. Hart, he's a he's a professional. He's got a Ph.D. He's teaching at Columbia. He says it's OK. So it must be OK. And Thank I you, think Karen. That, yes, you're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome. Thank you. So clearly I didn't say it was OK for kids. And so if your kids are taking that message from what I'm saying, then you have some job, you have a job to do some work to do as a parent. You as a parent have to make uh -huh. sure your kid understands how to discern are what you is putting this, Wait, are you putting well, no, this no, on no. I'm a parent, I'm a parent and my kids, so, so this whole notion, I'm a parent and I'm an adult and there are activities 
that are uh, reserved for adults and we're not going to ban those activities simply because there are kids in the world. That is nonsense. Okay, so Heidi, uh, what else are you offended by or you find outrageous? Um, yeah, okay, uh, you know, I, listen, you know, so here it's do as I say, not as I do. That That's not even that. You're saying, you know, once you become an adult, it's gonna be okay to do these things. It's not okay, period. Adult, children, whatever. These things, you compared it, somebody compared it with the car. Um, cars don't damage your brain cells. You know, driving nor, it every day, it doesn't nor, matter. Nor do, nor do drugs at the doses that people take. That's why alcohol is, is legal. Alcohol is a drug, caffeine is a drug. All of these things are available to, to adults when, when they become adults. It's the and, same thing. And they're damaging caffeine and, and alcohol. No, 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 Let's back up, back up, back up. That's, this is not, that's, that's not true. It doesn't work like that. Nothing in life works like where you give, uh, where it's all of none. Alcohol has therapeutic effects. Uh, there have been large studies that have shown that people who drink in moderations are less likely to have heart disease. Heart disease, by the way, is the number one killer in the United States. Uh, all of these things can be used in a way that enhances health. Uh, the way that we've been presenting them in the public gives the public this um, skewed view. It keeps the public ignorant. And it also continues our sort of restrictive drug laws that fuels the war on drugs and this over-policing of people. Well, and I, two, things, two things can be true. Dr. Hart, oh. two things can be true. I, I respect your, your scholarship, of course, but we're dealing with two things. Uh, everybody listening has an experience with somebody who's been strung out on drugs and who have been uh, abusing alcohol in our families. Most of us have stories. And for us, it is a negative experience, you know, and Heidi's talking about having children in her life who have come from uh, drug addicted parents. For her, that's a very real correlation. Scientifically, what you're saying is absolutely true. I can't dispute the science and I can't dispute, you know, the the actual facts in terms of incarceration. We know that there are a couple of things going on at the same time. But to sit here and say, you know, across the board that people have the uh, ability to moderate because clearly we're seeing the the lack of, of restraint and um, discipline as it relates to our bodies. We're, we're looking at, you know, raging obesity, heart disease, as you mentioned, diabetes, things that can be prevented. People aren't preventing them. So you're, you're, you're saying all things being equal and everything being perfect, people can take these things in doses and it could be medicine and not poison, but we're not in that world. We're in a world where people don't want to wear a mask during a damn pandemic. That is, but I got I got to push back because the opioids they were really fine with them, and the only good thing about the opioids was they didn't believe we had pain, so we didn't suffer from that. They felt really fine taking those drugs, killing killing themselves. And when the cyclers got that six hundred million dollar tap on the wrist, that that opioid sales went through the roof. They sold even more. So you know, all right. who, who gets all right. so, drugs? Uh, wait, let's let's think about food. Let's just think right. about. Food. Let's think about it when we come back because we okay. gotta go to a break. And let me uh. Welcome back. Thank you. Dr. Carl Hart is here. Uh, the one and only Madame Tonya Pinkins. Tanya Pinkins is here as well. And let's uh, head over to Sean in Houston, where they rap a lot. Houston, Texas. Welcome. Hello. Hello. 
Hey, I want hey. to say hello to all y'all, first of all. Okay, and hi. I just wanted to say, and I just wanted to say that I agree with Dr. Hart. I mean, because I don't feel like the the problem is the, the drug or anything like that. It's the people. And the people are ignorant to the facts about these things, and that's why we have all these problems. I mean, it's just like the they say when they don't want guns, or, or we want guns here in America, and we got the guns here, and they say it's not the guns that kill people, it's the people. So the people are the ones that need to be educated about the facts of these things, and we'll be all right. When he said that we need the parents out here to parent their kids and raise their kids, those are the things that we need to have, and we need to have better education about these things, and I think everything will be okay after that. Well, thank you, Sean. Um, before we went to break, Dr. Carl Hart, you wanted us to think about some things? Yeah, I was thinking about food. There, there are a number of people who die from food-related illnesses. I think about diabetes, diabetes obesity, all of those sorts of things. Uh, but nobody is talking about banning foods. And But yet, when it comes to drugs, we go right to that, that frame. Let's ban these drugs. Um, uh, and, and I don't, I don't understand it entirely. I think that at some level, people are uh, maybe upset, jealous, because there are people in our society who can handle drugs and they are fine. They are adults, whereas there are others who who don't do well. And uh, for whatever reasons, I'm not. There's no judgment, but I don't understand what all the judgment is. All this negative judgment is. Uh, uh, thrust upon people who are doing well in our society, whether they use a drug or not. I, it, it baffles me, this one does. I, I know why comedians can, comedians need to make fun of drugs because it's like cheap comedy. You can always get a cheap joke by saying some stupid stuff about drug, drugs, I get that. I know why filmmakers need to, to vilify drugs because it's an easy way, it's a lazy way to get to some plot in, in, in this way without much stock. I get that. I get why the newspaper people uh, need to vilify drugs because they sell papers. But I don't understand the regular sort of people. I don't understand this. David Simon in 2012, he's the producer writer of The Wire. He did a whole document documentary series on the war on drugs and how drugs that were legal for wealthy white people then became demonized in specific communities in order to marginalize the Chinese with one drug, the Mexicans with another drug, the blacks with another drug. You know, cocaine was people took cocaine all the time. I think I just want to clarify that David Simon was a narrator in a film that I was in, which you're talking about is the house that I live in. Yes. And, and the work that he was citing was people like mine. So let's just uh, let's I don't clear. want to give him let's be props clear. where he don't give him. You, yeah. you give it, you give, give it where it's <laughs> uh, Jennifer in New Jersey thank you for that Tanya Jennifer welcome to the Karen Hunter show you're on with Dr. Carl Hart and Tanya Pinkins hello Professor Hunter and Dr. Hart and Madam Pinkins um, Dr. Hart I had a chance to a couple months ago listen to a um, interview you had done with a um, it, it was on, on YouTube a very lengthy interview over an hour long and I just want to say that I respectfully disagree with your premise it appears as though you are proposing that a person can use certain drugs such as opiates, um, you know, amphetamines, in the same way that they may manage using caffeine and coffee 
And as long as they're thinking about the way they ingest it, say orally versus intravenously, for example, that it won't necessarily have harmful effects. I understand that everything we do, we can take a Tylenol and there's a certain level of risk associated with that, but it's a calculated risk. And I really believe that the risk for taking heroin or crack cocaine or amphetamines, I believe that calculated risk is just extraordinarily too high because of the potential effects. I'm a person who has had people in my family addicted to crack cocaine, addicted to alcohol. And so in terms of the war on drugs, they can legalize certain drugs, and that's, and that's one conversation. But even if it's legalized, if a person were, were to come to me asking me for advice, I would most certainly discourage them from partaking in those drugs because the risk and the effects are just too great. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you for that, that, that comment. You know, I, I don't think we disagree too much except her final conclusion that the risk is just too great uh, because she's right. Throughout life, we make these daily sort of risk to benefit calculations, uh, whether it's crossing the street, whether it's driving a car, whether it's doing caffeine, whether it's doing alcohol, whatever. Uh, so you, she's absolutely right. Uh, but the thing that she's miss, missing is that the risk associated with drugs like heroin, the, the, the risk is not inherent to the drug. The risk is primarily related to our restriction of these drugs, such that people don't know what they're getting on the street. They don't know the dose. They don't know the quality. Uh, oftentimes, they don't know anything about how to use these things safely because we have had a prohibition on information related to drugs. Because when people like me even just talk sensibly about these things, they, people, people want to shut it down. So that increases the risk. And so we, th we can think about cannabis these days. Uh, uh, in 1937, we said that that drug caused people to kill, kill their mothers, addict them, and all of this nonsense. Uh, now we've changed our minds. It's not like we have new science because there isn't any new, real new science that goes as far as the LaGuardia report in 1944. Uh, that's about where we are today with marijuana, but we're legalizing it. Not because we have new information, but because we found out how to make money off of it. Uh, and not because we didn't ban cannabis because it's at unique dangers. We banned cannabis because of our racism. And so uh, we said all of these things about how dangerous it was, and not that that was true. The same is true with these other drugs. When we have these big figures, like 80,000 Americans die from overdoses, the, the implication is that they're dying from opioids. But when you go in the numbers, you see that uh, many of these people, uh, a, a large proportion of them died because they committed suicide. And then even uh, uh, more of these people died without even having used opioids. And then when you look at the opioids, the people, the vast majority of people who died from opioids had multiple drugs in their system. Uh, uh, again, that's kind of like ignorance. You shouldn't be mixing these certain drugs and that increases the likelihood of overdose. Uh, and so um, uh, your point is you're almost there, but please read what I've written on this subject. Uh, you know, it's like people say that they disagree with me and I've done this for 30 years. Uh, it's like uh, Venus Williams said today, it's like, you, you know, she's the tennis star. And so people are, are critiquing her performance and they have no tennis skills. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I dedicated my life to the science of drugs, to the American people, because you pay for my education. 
and I publish this stuff so you can benefit. But yet people want to argue about this without actually having read an expert. You better say that, Dr. Carl Hart. And I can't take another caller because your answer is going to be three minutes and we have one minute left. Uh, appreciate you, as always. Didn't get to ask you about Naomi Osaka, but you'll be back because, you, you know, you're now a regular. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.